welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I speak with Venerable D. Hong, co-founder of the Engaged Buddhist Alliance. In our conversation, Venerable discusses his experience taking Buddhism into prisons in Southern California. We discuss both the challenges and successes of doing so. Other topics include Buddhist psychology, mindfulness, and how Buddhism can be practiced by anyone of any religious tradition. Venerable D. Hong has been a Buddhist monk in the Vietnamese and Chinese Pure Land tradition since 2006. He was also ordained into the Burmese Theravada tradition of the Mahasi lineage in 2014. He has an MA and PhD in Buddhist studies with a concentration in Chinese Buddhism. He received his doctorate from the University of the West in 2015. In 2013, while a doctoral student at the University of the West, Venerable D helped co-found the Engaged Buddhist Alliance and volunteers at several state prisons in California where he teaches mindfulness meditation and Buddhist psychology. He is also in charge of the Alliance's correspondence courses for incarcerated students in other remote California state prisons, as well as students in Washington State and Arizona. He has been an adjunct professor at the University of the West since 2016 and teaches courses on Buddhism in the departments of psychology and general education. Venerable D, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. I am so grateful to uh, spend this time uh, with you today and have this conversation. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Hi, Nick. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. I've been wanting to talk to you more in depth for quite a while now, uh, just uh, so that people know you and I first met, I think it was in 2009. Um, at the University of West, I was there just taking some Sanskrit classes, yes. which I have forgotten all of my Sanskrit. I don't know. About here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our poor professor, if Maraj yeah. is listening to this, you know, all uh-huh. apologies. Um, oh, I will admit I, I have the textbook out because I want to review it. Uh-huh. Um, so I took it out about a month ago, but I haven't cracked it since then. I put it aside. I just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you. So um, I thought that we would begin uh, just with some personal background information, not to dig too deep um, into your privacy, but you've been a Buddhist monk since 2006. What was it that led you onto this path? I was at the time, uh, actually it started in year 2000. Mm. I was in software. Mm. I was working in a software field and with, the, my job with the corporate restructuring after the uh, stock market crash in 2000. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uh, the, my job was so stressful because the corporation that I used to work for, they restructure everything and you just have to do more with the same amount of pay without training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so I mean, that's, that was one of the primary reasons that I quit mm-hmm. because it, at the end of the day, I, I was fine in the morning when I got to the office, but by noon or 5 p.m., 
<laughs> I was very angry and frustrated, and I mm. had no help. Mm. I mean, you know, that was one of the uh, factors. And mm. I was also never happy with my life, with everything, mm. even though I was making $70,000 a year. I mean, and I was, I, didn't, I, would, I wouldn't say that I was well off, but I was very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that, and I was just dissatisfied with everything. So all of that and with the right conditions, uh, I met a uh, Buddhist nun in 2004 and helped her to build a Buddhist temple. Mm. And one, one thing led to another. <laughs> okay. uh, I made the decision in 2004 to say, hey, you know what, I'm done. And, but yeah. it took me a year and a half until right. 2006 uh, okay. to drop everything. All right. So, so you helped this nun build a Buddhist temple. Where, where mm-hmm. was that? That was in Cleveland, Ohio. That's okay. where I, I settled when I first came to the U.S. Okay. Uh, in, back in November 1982. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Uh, another Ohio person. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm, was born and raised there, though I rarely admit that. So um, were you then were you raised in a Buddhist family? Um, it wasn't that you just suddenly converted to Buddhism and became a monk. That was already something that was present in your life, correct? Yes. I mean, I was born and raised in Vietnam and ethnically mm-hmm. uh, I'm Chinese. Mm-hmm. And in Vietnam or in China, you know, you use usually you, you are born into a Buddhist family because okay. that's part of the culture and okay. even society. So yeah, you could say that I was by culture, by birth, I was a Buddhist. Okay. All right. Very good. I have a question about, you know, you're ordained in a couple of different traditions and it might be helpful for listeners who really aren't all that familiar with Buddhism to get a better sense of what that's like, because if someone's not really familiar with the Buddhist traditions to hear that, you know, you're ordained in the, um, uh, Chinese Pure Land tradition and Vietnamese Pure Land tradition, but also in a Theravada tradition. Someone might think that that's like a Christian saying that they're Catholic and Baptist and maybe Episcopalian all at the same time. So can, can you discuss the, the, the different lineages perhaps, or um, explain a little bit about how you can be ordained in various traditions as a Buddhist? Yeah, sure. So before I start with that, uh, let's let's start with, you know, in Buddhism, we have three major traditions, right? Right. Mahayana, Theravada, and Vajrayana. Mm -hmm. And I can just simply say I belong to the Mahayana tradition. Okay. But to be to 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 be more specific, I I, because I was ordained in Vietnam. So I say Mm -hmm. that I was ordained in the Vietnamese and Chinese Land tradition um, in Vietnam, you have literally uh, Pure Land is, is the major of the two traditions besides the meditation tradition or Zen. Mm-hmm. So, and because I'm Chinese, so I just put down that it's Vietnamese and Chinese Pure Land tradition, just so okay. that people have a better understanding of which school and which Buddhism, which country this. Buddhism is from. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I also would like to add is even though there are three major traditions, however, the the Buddhas, the core teachings of the Buddha are the same in all 
in all traditions. <laughs> you can't do you if if anyone else say anything different, then it's wrong. So um, the reason that I that I switched that that I added or, or then in the Theravada tradition under uh, my teacher Kipa Panyo, who practiced the Theravada tradition under uh, the Maha under uh, Mahasi, which is based in Burma or Myanmar. Mm -hmm. Now um, the reason that I did that was because as I began to volunteer inside the prison, one of the practices that was needed was meditation. Mm, yeah. And I thought that it would be helpful for me to go deeper into the meditation practice, which mm. is mainly mindfulness. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I end up with having both traditions and especially also we live in America and we can have, you know, a couple of traditions as long as, and certainly I don't think that they conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. the, the Buddha's teachings are the same, the Four Noble Truths, you know, it's just that I don't do a lot of the, the chanting. Okay. I do more of the mindfulness meditation mm -hmm. and the study of the Buddha's teaching. Uh, so I guess, you know, that's how I end up having both traditions. Okay. All right. And so um, we can get into this a little bit more uh, when we get into your work um, at the prisons, because mm -hmm. um, I may have some further questions. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I did have uh, sort of one, uh, two more questions. One is the University of the West. A lot of people may not be very familiar with the University of the West. And I think I referred to it once as a, a Buddhist university, and you corrected me on that. So uh, could you say just a few words about what the uh, University of the West is? Sure. Um, the University of the West, actually, it was first named Shi Lai because it was founded uh, by a Buddhist monk and in conjunction, in conjunction with the Shi Lai temple in Roland Heights. Mm -hmm. And um, it was later changed to uh, University of the West because of the spelling, you know, that mm -hmm. was difficult to do. It was founded in 1991. Okay. And I think by 2004 or so, it was accredited. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, the university is just is a private university, just like any other private university in America. Mm -hmm. it, it offers a variety of degrees of undergraduate program in business and psychology. Mm -hmm. And it offers uh, an MBA degree. And uh, it also has a religious, religious department and in which uh, Buddhism is a field that one can study if, if the person has an interest. In. It's also associated, um, isn't it, with I mean, originally um, uh, with humanistic Buddhism. Can you say what that is? Well, the founder, uh, the Grand Master Xun Yun, his goal was to bring Buddhism to everyone, to make mm -hmm. it offered to the commoner. Mm -hmm. And which this was a major movement back in the late 1900s. And okay. this is, you know, uh, out of China. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is in America, uh, if you look at the history of Buddhism and 
in the past, it was usually for people, it was by the elite, mm -hmm. with people who had money to mm -hmm. study and going to retreat. So the, the Grand Master's goal was to say, you know, with humanistic Buddhism, we sh it can be made available freely mm -hmm. to the general population or to people who couldn't afford it, but who have an interest in studying, you know, that's why that was, that's why the term humanistic Buddhism. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. And uh, we should probably note that the university of the West is located in Rosemead, uh, California, which is part of LA County. Yes. Uh, just so that people know, have an idea of where it is. Uh, yes. It's a beautiful campus. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's appeared in some commercials, if I understand right. I forget the name of those trees or these really tall trees. Oh, the Italian cypress. Yeah. The Italian the, cypress. Yeah, yeah. Those are beautiful. I love those trees. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're very, very nice. So you've been teaching at the University of the West since 2016 and you yes. co-founded the Engaged uh, Buddhist Alliance in 2013, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is the Engaged Buddhist Alliance? Well, uh, in the Engaged Buddhist Alliance or uh, EBA mm -hmm. uh, was founded in 2013 and is a nonprofit, uh, 501c. Um, the goal was to offer, uh, when we first founded, it was to offer um, college courses in Buddhism for the folks inside the prison. Okay. That was the plan at the beginning. Okay. All right. Now, were these like uh, courses for credit that the people could use towards a degree or is it was, was it just more informational? Well, we didn't know, to be honest, we didn't know what we were doing or what we okay. get ourselves into. Right. Um, and I was never involved in any sort of like accredited program. So okay. I, no, we just create the, the course. Um, however, uh, as we got into the prison, uh, the issue was, I mean, there were a lot of issues that we faced. I mean, it mm -hmm. was a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. One was, um, you know, when you take a course in college, you have to read so many books and you have to research for so many articles. Mm -hmm. But inside the prison, there's no internet, there's no computer. So like, right. and, and there's not even a Buddhist book inside the prison of 2,000 wow. or 5,000 men, not even in the wow. central library. Yeah. And, and know, any of the prisons that you go to? Most of them. Wow. Zero. Wow. Uh, you know, so uh, in, each, in each prison, you know, uh, they, they divide it into, for the men, they divide it to four yards. Mm -hmm. And in each yard, they do, they do have a small library and it has no Buddhist books. And then mm -hmm. they also have a central library, which that's where they have, you know, it housed a lot of the law books. Mm -hmm. and, and I have been told that there was none. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and so that was one thing. Second, um, in order to get a book, uh, that to donate to a uh, an incarcerated individual, uh, you have to get approval, mm -hmm. and it takes like two to four weeks or longer. <laughs> okay, even if you plan ahead, something is something was gonna mess up. Right. You know. So so that was the second that was mm -hmm. the second challenge. Third, like we had no funding, there was no money to begin with. Okay. And yeah. and actually, uh, Doctor Lancaster, who was the one who initiated the program. Mm -hmm. 
and, and he actually put up some money for, for the program. And, and so uh, that's how we got it. The, the challenge number three, number four, in, in any group with the prisoners, with the, the incarcerated people, I, you have the, the, the degree of knowledge they vary so much, mm. you know, from not having a GED mm-hmm. to uh, someone with an, a, an associate degree, mm-hmm. you know. So all of that were, uh, made it so much difficult for us to offer a, college, a, a course in college mm-hmm. de- uh, level. So we end up offering something that is similar, the corresponding courses where we can issue a certificate that is similar to uh, what we call personal development. They are not mm-hmm. accredited, mm-hmm. but they are more for the purpose of continuing education or personal development. Okay, all right. Um, now I seem to remember because it, it just boggles my mind that the libraries didn't have any books on Buddhism. Uh, I'm, I'm sure though that they had probably several copies of the Bible. Oh, you want to hold on to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, inside the in, in inside the prison, when the folks uh, would go to uh, religious services, they would go mm-hmm. to the chapel, right? And in the chapel, that's where it allows folks of different religions to come and pray or worship, whatever you call mm-hmm. it, or meditate. Mm-hmm. Now, in there is a, a a small room, the side room, and it has five bookshelves right mm-hmm. and all the five bookshelves have bible everywhere wow. Wow. yeah <laughs> and nothing from buddhism there might be one or two okay. you know a few right. but but that's yeah. not the central library that's only the chapel library okay all Correct. right yeah all right yeah and you know there is this idea of i i think most people are familiar with missionaries, you know, Christian missionaries going into prisons, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to teach the gospel and hopefully that the prisoners will find their salvation that way. Now, I seem to recall speaking to you uh, probably the last time we spoke about eight years ago, um, and I could be wrong on this, so please correct me if I am, uh, but you had mentioned that the state of California didn't recognize Buddhism as a religion for the purpose of going into the prisons. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, let, let, let's, uh, let's start it this way. Um, the federal government does recognize Buddhism as a religion, mm-hmm. so they can hire Buddhist chaplains to okay. serve in all public institutions mm-hmm. when there's a need or in federal prisons. Okay. Now in all 50 states, in the United States, the only state that I know that recognizes Buddhism as a religion is Oregon. Okay. And they, they do hire Buddhist chaplains with pay mm-hmm. to work inside the prisons. Okay. In the state prisons. Okay. California and the rest, the majority of the state, they don't recognize Buddhism as a religion. As a result, they don't hire pay Buddhist chaplains to serve the incarcerated population. Wow. So for for so in California state prisons, if the incarcerated person needed to learn Buddhism, he or she is out of luck. Uh, they so 
that's where we came in. You know, we filled the role as a volunteer, mm-hmm. uh, as a Buddhist chaplain, as a volunteer to serve okay. this population, th- those who need it. Okay. And I, I would imagine that some other traditions have to take the same approach if they, in fact, go into the prisons. Correct. But here, here's, here's what's going on or has been going on, you know, with, with ever since the, the prisons uh, have been built. Um, California recognizes five religions, Catholicism, mm-hmm. Protestants, um, Islam, Judaism and Native American religion. So they hire in each prison, they hire one chaplain each for each religion. Mm-hmm. And they serve all the incarcerated people. However, if you happen to be a Buddhist or uh, uh, say Jehovah Witness or other uh, not mainstream religions, uh, they have to find volunteers to to fill the role. Okay. Now, wasn't there an attempt to challenge or to change the uh, state designation? And uh, I seem to recall you saying some, uh, somehow some Wiccans were involved in all of this, if I remember right. Yeah. There, in uh, in one of the women in in one of the three women prisons. This is before my time before I started in 2013, um, the, 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 women, the couple women who practiced, you know, vegans and they, they sue. Mm-hmm. So they were, the court was, took its time to decide, but then <laughs> the women were released. So the oh, case okay. was dropped. So, oh, okay. so it never went through. Do you know if there's any other kind of motion to try to get Buddhism recognized at the state level? I know that so far it, there's none. Um, there was talk about hiring, you know, uh, getting rid of the five faith policy mm-hmm. and make it just a general professional mm-hmm. chaplains, mm-hmm. but that's not happening. I'd, I haven't heard anything about that. The only thing that we could do is to start with the assemblies hmm. you know the one of the legislator or something somebody has to sponsor a bill right and get it passed by the state by the house by the by the senate hmm. right and then signed by the government otherwise it will never happen <laughs> that, that seems so kind of ironic for california specifically because this was one of the places that Buddhism was really first brought into the United States. It, you know? Yeah, if you look at it, right, here's the, here's the thing. First of all, yeah, the U.S. Ha- is, is, you know, you can practice freedom of religion. However, right. yeah. <laughs> you, you are on your own, basically. Right. And if the state does not recognize it, they're not going to hire any Buddhist chaplains for all right. the public institutions, which yeah. should be required. Well, right. you know, it's only required if, the law recognized Buddhism right. as a religion. And right. yes, like you said, California, actually out of Asia, California has the most Buddhist yeah. in the world. Yeah. And, and here I, I'm laughing in a way in, with uh, irony or, or sarcasm. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't recognize Buddhism as a religion. I don't know. <laughs> I find it very, yeah. uh, I mean, dismay and uh, I don't know, uh, comical, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. Yeah. We can laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the good old U.S. of A. So another question is that, so you're going into the prisons. How can Buddhism help prisoners? Well, here, um, the, let, let me bring up, you know, some of the common topics that mm-hmm. I offer. The Four Noble Truths, the mm-hmm. Eightfold Path, the Three Marks of Existence, the okay. Five Aggregates or Five Skandhas. Right. Um, karma, uh, mm-hmm. dependent origination, and the Brahma Vihara, which is loving kindness, compassion, appreciative mm-hmm. joy, and equanimity. So I, I, I would bring out, I would bring a topic in uh, because you know each visit we only have ninety minutes to two hours depending okay. on the prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would bring uh, a topic in and discuss it and mm-hmm. explain to them how to apply. Mm-hmm. And then we would meditate okay. and then we would for about half an hour at least. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time I would open up for the folks to share their issues or ask questions. Okay. And so when you go in to a prison, you're going in for about 90 minutes. How frequently do you visit the prison then? Oh, here's uh, well, Chino's women prison uh, is close to my house. So I, I went every Monday before the pandemic. Okay, okay yeah. Um, now with the men's prisons, uh, the closest one is 85 miles away. Wow. I would go uh, twice a month. Okay. The other three or four prisons, I would go once a month because each of those prisons, they were 200 miles each way. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and I used to go to seven prison, and it was exhausting. Oh, yeah, I will. I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. So um, now it's not just you. There are a few other volunteers, correct? That are. There, yeah, there were uh, there were three or four other uh, at Chino's women prison. I have Eric Tran and Rachel with me. Uh, mm-hmm. On they would go a couple times a month mm-hmm. um, with at Chakawala Valley State Prison. Uh, Chris Johnson, uh, he used, he started with me and then I let him take over. Mm-hmm. And then next door to Chakawala, there is an Ironwood State Prison. That's where I started first. And then Margaret, uh, she joined me. Okay. With the other prisons, I went by myself. Wow. And, and the men, most of the men's prison, they are high security prison, meaning mm-hmm. they're level three and level four prisons. Okay. I'm just kind of curious um, because you're, covering prisons at the in southern and central california yes is there any similar organization to the eba in like northern uh, california that's doing this work uh well there are two other uh non-profit one is in san south in san diego is the uh international bodhisattva uh sangha is ibs Uh, they serve Southern California prisons, but sometimes they would do a, like a couple of times a year, they would visit all prisons. Okay. Uh, and then up north, there is a, uh, Buddhist pathway, uh, prison. Uh, they have volunteers that cover most of the, uh, Northern California state prisons. Okay. All right. How, how are the, is it, I, I would assume that this is something that, you know, you're visiting a prison that the prisoners are aware that you're going to be there. And obviously it's going to be optional for them to show up 
when you're there. How many people do you get meeting with you? you okay. know, what's, oh, the, what's the interest level? Okay. Oh, here, here's the thing. Uh, with, the, with Prop 57 passed, I believe, in 2016, where if, uh, if a, an incarcerated person attended a, an approved self-help mm-hmm. group, uh, they would receive 10 days off per year for 52 hours. Okay. Um, so, but before that, uh, anyone could come. It was not required. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, so it was more like a volunteering thing for them if they had an interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so we usually, even that, we usually have from 10 persons to 20 or more. Okay. Um, Now, don't forget, in the men's prison, like I said earlier, they divide it into four yards, meaning that you have to go to A, B, C, D separately, because you know they they cannot, you cannot have two thousand men in one big yard. So, so uh, each yard or each group, each yard would have about five hundred men, and we would go A, B, C, D. Uh, and we run around (laughs) like crazy for the whole day especially in the desert Um, so usually we have from 7 to 10 or 15 or sometimes 20 okay so so that's at the beginning now with the with the prop 57 pass um at chino's women prison it's not each evening i would have at least 30 women and on Mm -hmm. the list we had 45 we have wow. from 30 to 35 women would join and it because you know it gives them the incentive to join our group because they mm-hmm. receive time off right. their sentence so right. yeah we had a big crowd and the the waiting the waiting list is like six months long wow, wow. so that was interesting yeah and uh, so that was that and same with the other uh, men's prisons as well because we got approved and this is a self-help group that can mm-hmm. help the individuals to better themselves to change mm-hmm. to rehabilitate right so we did have more in in onward sometimes we in one group we have like 25 mm-hmm. and there were so many that was on waiting list same as lancaster so they're they're able to get some time reduced from their sentence correct and is it a one-time deal or every time you show up can they get the time reduced oh it's it's accumulated okay you know so if they join because you know they have to sign in and out Uh so let's say at chino's women prison uh i would start at 5 45 p.m Mm -hmm. and i would end at 7 45 p.m so they have to sign in and sign out okay and the and then i would turn in this i guess i call that time sheet Mm -hmm. i would turn that into the admin staff they will enter into the person's c file or central Mm -hmm. file and okay. that, that is recorded on their okay. file. And right. by the end of the year, it will be tallied and okay. calculated. Right. And, and I imagine that there are other similar courses that they can go to. So there is a element of choice. It's, it would seem to me that it's not necessarily people who are showing up just to get a reduced sentence, but rather there's also some real interest there. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. There were other self-help group types mm-hmm. that helped them to either develop skill as parents or other things. Uh, but for me, uh, they have even like, I, I have to use this, you know, we, we meditate from 30 to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And you had to sit there in right. in silence, and I would, you know, pro- guide them, explain to them how to focus on, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I'm responsible for right. for their, uh, in a way, for my uh, program. Mm-hmm. So I have to make sure that they showed up, uh, I, and I get them to talk mm-hmm. about what's going on in their mind. Like you said earlier, what helps them? Mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. The, the ability to recognize what's going on in the mind and the surrounding and to be aware. Mm-hmm. And from that, they are able to figure out what to do mm-hmm. and make proper decision. Yeah. Okay. And just to be clear, I would imagine that anyone listening or viewing this is going to be familiar with mindfulness meditation but to put you on the spot, can, can you can you explain what mindfulness mindfulness meditation is? Well, um, you know, since I believe the seventy early seventy with John Kabat-Zinn, he's the father of this mindfulness movement, and he defined mindfulness and is the ability to pay attention to pay attention in the present moment. Mm-hmm. But, but the way that I, and this is based on um, the Buddha's teaching, mm-hmm. is with the sitting or walking is our ability to f- be fully present with what's going on in our mind. Or when you are not meditate, the thing is, you know, what matters is off the cushion, right? What matters mm-hmm. is what you do afterward. You know, you cannot be mm-hmm. sitting there 24 hours a day. So after the meditation, what matters is how you deal with your stress, how you deal with people. Mm -hmm. And um, that is mindfulness practice. Yeah, the practice itself, it helps, if I understand correctly, it helps you when you're off the mat Mm -hmm. or off the the, the cushion Cushion. Mm -hmm. um, so that you can actually start becoming more aware of the thoughts that you're having and at the same time kind of distance yourself from those thoughts right that you know that that you are not necessarily all of those thoughts so if you have anxiety you don't have to identify with that anxiety yes and and this is where i want to emphasize like you know throughout the buddha's teachings and and again in all the three major traditions Mm-hmm. Throughout all his teachings, the one statement that I find very, very relevant to all of us, well, to I guess all of us, it, regarding to thoughts and feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, when you notice a thought or a feeling, remind yourself, this is not me, mm-hmm. it's not mine, it's not who I am. Right. So, and, and I explained to the folks inside the prison, said, when you notice a thought, know that this is not you. They are mm-hmm. fleeting away. They are not permanent they are constantly changing they come and yeah. go and, and they don't define who you are mm-hmm. they are not you who you are you know right. your thought is not who is not you your feeling yeah. and and that helps them to disengage mm-hmm. with what's going on in the mind or detach from that and, mm-hmm. and allow them to focus mm-hmm. on their activity or whatever it is that they are doing mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, uh, I would imagine that many of the prisoners 
are dealing with issues of like anger and addiction perhaps and um you know resentments things like that and it seems like these teachings could help them quite remarkably to help keep them from coming back to prison once they're out and i you know i i can never ever ever say this correctly so bear with me because what I want to know are some of the successes that you've had. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I was just kind of curious if you had any statistics on recidivism. That's the word I can't say, recidivism. <laughs> it's like my mom, she could never say aluminum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so let, me, let me go back to your statement about the anger resentment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He, here's a thing that I want the public to be aware of, of people inside the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody like you and I or anyone in their right mind would just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to kill, I'm going to, I'm going to rob. None of that. Now, the majority of the folks inside the prison, I I may dare to say more than 90%, they suffer from some type of traumas. Okay. Be it physically Mm -hmm. abused, emotionally Mm -hmm. abused, sexually abused uh bullying or and because of that they would join some of them would join the gang and that's how that's what happened so because of the abuse they suppressed their anger and Mm. over time it turned into full-blown hatred Mm. and it could be one day that somebody just got into their way and they just blew up And, and so they, most of them, you know, for men, it was more of the physical abuse and the emotional abuse. For women, the majority, more than 50% of them suffer from some form of sexually abuse, be it with, mm. by their parent, by their father, or relatives. Mm. Um, and that's what happened to them. And, and because of that, they, for women, they had to sometimes defend for themselves. And, you know, and, and in the end, they get sent to the mm. prison. Um, with men, it's quite similar. So that's mm. one thing. Um, and here's one thing that I also like to add regarding to the Four Noble Truths, right? The second noble truth says that, you know, we, the source of our suffering is our crave, our attachment, mm-hmm. correct? So that's applied to anyone. For folks inside the prison, I like to add that because of the trauma, because of the suppression, so in a way they attach to the anger. So, so the anger, the resentment, the hatred, and mm-hmm. it would be a matter of time before they would lose it and mm-hmm. they react to it. So that's what happened with this population. And, mm-hmm. and I just can't say enough just so that the American public would have a better understanding mm-hmm. of what happened to this population. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a wonderful point that you're making that they're not, you know, we're not that different from them and yeah. that it can just take one minor thing, one bad day. <laughs> correct, correct. Uh, or, you know, one moment, right? Yeah, now, yeah. now, if I may add, continue with that. So it, let, let's look at, uh, I'm trying, I usually I teach Buddhist psychology, I draw mm-hmm. a, uh, a triangle. Mm-hmm. So like the, the, the first noble truth 
which is oh, suffering, you know, the yeah, uh, dukkha. Uh, dukkha, meaning, you know, births, aging, sickness and death. We can't mm-hmm. get what we want. We have to deal with people with that we don't like and we're separate from our loved ones. So that's the mm-hmm. basic fundamental. Mm-hmm. And on that's one layer. That's fundamental for everyone. And the second layer that I put is the traumas that people suffer. And that mm-hmm. applies to any of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, literally, I was physically abused. I was emotionally abused by my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of that. So that's the second layer. Now, for the folks inside the prison, once they get into the prison, they also experience or witness more traumas. Mm-hmm. You know, because in any, especially the, the high, the, the high security prisons, the violence, right, fight, race, riot, or, mm-hmm. or getting attacked, that's another layer. Wow. So all of, all of this combined get what give them what we call PTSD mm-hmm. and, and be it um, hypervigilance, anxiety, panic attack, mm-hmm. mood swing, and paranoia. So it's yeah. just, that's another thing that they suffer. And trust me, once they suffer that inside the prison and once they get out, they have to manage that. And this is what uh, mm-hmm. psychologists call post-incarceration syndrome, PIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So that's that. Yeah. Um, so, so, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I, no, so you want me to talk about the receivism or? Uh, we can. I have another question, yeah. though. Sure. Uh, <laughs> because you mentioned Buddhist psychology. Uh huh. And again, for anyone who may be unfamiliar with this, what what is, you know, I mean, I, I want to ask you what Buddhist psychology is, but mm-hmm. I also want to predicate this, you know, that Buddhism is often the problem child in the room when it comes to <laughs> world religions. Um, not the elephant (laughs) yeah well it's the problem child Mm -hmm. uh, because it's the question of well is it a religion or not and i and i tend to say yes it is uh, although sometimes i define it more as philosophy with ritual Mm -hmm. um uh, but you know i don't know that there is a lot of uh religious traditions that lend themselves so well to psychology i know that buddhism is really at the heart of what's referred to as transpersonal psychology um so if you could say a few words about buddhist psychology in general that might be helpful sure well um before i do that again um you know in in the west we define religion as, as you already know, right? We have a definition for, for, for re- what fits as a religion. Mm. But for Buddhism, it can be, I get into trouble for this because I said <laughs> Buddhism is not a religion. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it can be a religion where people come and make offering and mm-hmm. ask for blessing. So that's mm-hmm. in one way is a religion. Right. It can be a philosophy where people study and you know make theories or whatever. Second, mm-hmm. but I would say that Buddhism is a, a way of living mm-hmm. because okay. if you look at the Buddha and his communities of sanghas, mm-hmm. what did they do? They in and they out. They meditate. They offer teachings, mm-hmm. and the Buddha, the lay Buddhists, they would come and learn. And they would go home and go on about their lives. And that mm-hmm. was, in a way, Buddhism mm-hmm. was at the time. But, you know, with 2,600 years down to where we are now, it has been, you know, it's a, we 
each country added their own uh, culture as well as philosophy. So that's right, aside. Right. Now for Buddhist psychology, the way I define it is we, with the practice of mindfulness meditation and the study of the Buddha's teachings, we apply that to our suffering. Mm -hmm. We recognize what our stress is and we can figure out a way to manage that. Mm -hmm. That is Buddhist psychology. Because if you take the Buddhist out, what is Western psychology? Western, you know, Western right. psychology, you have uh, counseling psychology or you have clinical. And, mm -hmm. and, clinic, uh, and Western psychology, um, from what I read, they deal with the symptoms, mm. right? And with clinical, okay, here's the medication. But with Buddhist psychology, we deal with the mind. So that's why with the meditation and the learning of the Buddha's teaching, you apply that to look at the mind and look at what is causing your own stress or suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I know that um, you're absolutely right in how you're uh, discussing, you know, Western psychology and probably psychiatry as well. I, I do know that there are some places of overlap. So um, there's a lot of comparisons that can be made to Jungian psychology, I know, but also, and I have experience with this um, because I have a anxiety disorder. And so uh, I got myself into therapy for a little bit when just trying to meditate on my own, I, I needed a little bit more help, but I chose cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of the reasons I did is that they incorporate mindfulness into it. <laughs> You know, so I can definitely see how it can be beneficial and helpful. Yeah. Would you say that, uh, because you said that uh, you didn't think that Buddhism is a religion, would you say that Buddhism is a psychology? It's a living psychology. Yeah. Or it's a way of living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, it, that, that's what I, actually in, in modern Western psychology, they added a lot of the mindfulness practice. Yeah. yeah. Even what the my, uh, Carl Rogers. Mm -hmm. Right. He, 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 I read it. I, I didn't read his book yet. I have one of his books. Um, and this is from a, a, a psychologist, a psychologist student who told me about him is that he, mm -hmm. his, his practice is a lot of it. It's just, you know, on, on, on uh, mindfulness mm -hmm. uh, being, you know, what mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. if Buddhism is, if we look at it as a psychology rather than a religion, Mm -hmm. That seems to suggest that people within other religious traditions can incorporate Buddhist psychology, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, and this is why when I, when I went into the prisons before the mm -hmm. pandemic, I, I never, my goal, because I, my goal was never to convert anyone. And right, I never right. asked anyone their religion, the practice was. Mm -hmm. I, and um, I think I have a, a, a statement here by the Dalai Lama. He always, I think he said, um, don't you, don't learn Buddhism and become a Buddhist, but use Buddhism and make you a better person, of, mm -hmm. a better person. Mm -hmm. So, so and, and, and with that, I told people, you know, it Buddhism does not require you to convert. It does not conflict with your religion. Mm -hmm. You use that as you go and mm -hmm. how it helps you to improve your quality of life. Mm -hmm. 
and in all my visits, <laughs> I, I never, I never had, I never bought a Buddha. If people mm -hmm. asked for it, I would give them the picture. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only thing that I need was a belt just so that, you know, we can uh, start and end the meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Are you getting a lot of, you said, you just said that some people were asking you for a Buddha. Are you getting a lot of requests for more information or some of the Buddhist implements like pictures, you know, outside of pictures of the Buddha? Um, yeah, well, the some get request asked for the Buddha and you know just because they like to look at the Buddha and see like, mm. how peaceful he looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I also offer that they asked for that I also offer during my visits um, were mala, you know, the beads. Oh, the beads, yeah, yeah. Because you know some some of the folks who come who came to my visit they have ADHD mm -hmm. or you know even PTSD. And of course, you know, you can't expect them to meditate. They can't sit still. So mm -hmm. with, with the bead, I, I show them how to use it. You know, basically mm -hmm. you hold one bead and you breathe in. And as you breathe out, you go to the next one. Mm -hmm. And actually it helped a lot of them to sit still, to be with their mind. So mm -hmm. that's the other thing that they asked. And they did ask even for books and stuff but it depends on the need i did provide that okay yeah very good and uh do you have any of them that um i think i may know the answer to this but who uh began writing to you i mean outside of the correspondence courses um yes they do you know sometimes they ask questions sometimes i mean i did have a few who moved on um mm -hmm. For, for most of the incarcerated people, they usually stay in one prison for two to three years. And then they get, usually most of them get transferred. A few would get to go home. Mm -hmm. And they would write to ask about the practice. I even had an individual who meditates so well, uh, quite a few, um, that they could not feel their breath. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> and I was wow. like, okay, what should I do? Because I am not there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we, I did have quite a few. So uh, let's get back to one of the questions uh, I asked about successes that you've had uh, doing this. And then oh, I have to say this damn word again, the uh, recidivism. <laughs> yeah, recidivism. Uh, yeah. Okay, so here's what I have. This is by prisonlegalnews.org. It's a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. For federal prison, uh, the, the rate of return over an eight-year period for non-violent, uh, it was 39.8%. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 2019, so it's fairly mm -hmm. new. And for violent prisoners, the rate of return was 64. Mm -hmm. So that's federal, right? Mm -hmm. And then for state prisons, um, Within three years, it was 68%. Okay. Within six years, it was 79. And within nine years, it was 83%. Wow, so really so, high rate, yeah. It is really high rate. And here's the point. We spent at least for the past few years, uh, more than $80 billion mm -hmm. in the entire country on, on, on mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the people who return, right. the money went down to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, that's another issue, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I was really kind of curious about if the people, uh, prisoners who are exposed to Buddhism and maybe start engaging in some of the practice, if that number of return is less. Um, you know, there is no study on that. And, okay. and because even like for us, we cannot get their name. I mean, uh, we could, but it's illegal. So right, I can't right. do it. Okay. So we cannot track them. But okay. for some of the folks that I worked with uh, for, since 2013, and they have been out. And, you know, of course, because with the pandemic, I have not been able to visit. I have been meditating online with some of them. Mm-hmm. And they have been, their practice has been, have been, you know, uh, has been pretty solid and they have been able to find work or even if they don't, they can still manage it and they have not returned to the prisons. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. I, I, it, one of the reasons I asked is I remember when I was a master's student taking a class on Buddhism, we watched a uh, short documentary and I, can't, I do not remember the title of it. Uh, and it wasn't set in America, but it was, I believe, in India. Uh, uh, doing time. Doing, doing time, yeah. doing Vipassana. Okay, yeah. And the, and their numbers of people going back into prison, it seemed to lower um, after being exposed to Buddhist practice. Yes, yes. And, and the other thing that helped them, the incarcerated population, was college. Okay. Um, those who have a four-year degree when they either inside or when they get out, their rate of return was only 4%. Yeah. Those who had a, ma- a master was zero. Oh, wow. So okay. yeah, ma- you know, education does help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, right now with the pandemic, you're not going back in. So you're doing these like via Zoom. Is that correct? Um, actually, the Zoom that I'm doing is with the former incarcerated people or oh, returning, okay. yeah, or returning citizens. That's what okay. that we use. Uh, um, no, with with yeah, with the pandemic, I have not been able to visit, and uh, only through correspondence, through letters. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, but on every Sunday morning, I meditate with a group of from four to eight to ten men. Okay. Um, who spent some 20 years inside the prison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And I know that the prisons were pretty bad in terms of the COVID going through them. So so I'm glad that you stayed out of that. Um, Do you have any sense of when you might be able to uh, begin returning? Um, The the prisons, California's prison, they just issue a new uh, regulations on returning. Um, Here's the thing. As long as a prison or a yard has no COVID cases for 28 days, mm-hmm. then that yard or that prison would be fully opening, meaning okay. that I could return okay. uh, to visit. And I'm looking at um, probably July okay. uh, at the earliest. Yeah. Okay. But then the thing is, you know, it's going to be so chaotic and sporadic because if there's, a, if there's one case, they're going to right. shut it down. Right, and then right, you, right. you can't go. And, and the, the thing is, you know, if some of the prisons are 200 miles away, <laughs> right, yeah. you can't just, and you, I have to drive there overnight to stay in a hotel yeah, be, for right. the next morning. So that's going to be tough. And they also require that we have a negative test. That's another mm-hmm. thing that I have to check with them because I took the vaccine already. Why do mm-hmm. I have to go get a test? Right, right? yeah. So, yeah. 
So, yeah, so that's a challenge. What are some of the other challenges that you faced while doing this? You know, I imagine it would be pretty difficult in some ways to bring in what many people consider a foreign religion into the prisons. Um, So, you know, what are some of the misperceptions or fears that you've discovered that people hold about Buddhism? Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, th- th- there have been so many misperceptions or misunderstandings about Buddhism. And mm-hmm. I blame it on Hollywood. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Um, one person would say, like, uh, is Buddhism uh, for uh, Shaolin or Kung Fu? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Right. And right. some thought that, you know, meditation is only for monks and nuns only. That's mm-hmm. another misperception. Mm. or meditation was about uh, praying or worshiping, none Mm. of that. So those were, but most of the people who came, they were quite open. And and because the way that I present it, it's just like, um, you know, like I told you, it's a way of life. Mm. So Mm -hmm. uh, most of them were very receptive. And I mean, all of them, I never had anyone who was hostile to me at all, okay. um, never. And, yeah. and if they didn't feel comfortable, then you don't see them the next day again, you know, because this, is, this was voluntary. So um, I never had an, any negative experience with the folks inside the prison. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Have you had exper- bad experiences with people outside the prison? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not really. You know, I have been quite, uh, in a way, if I may say the word shelter, but the people yeah. that I dealt with, they have been pretty uh, positive. So no, yeah, actually, good. like last couple of weeks ago, I went, I drove to Costco at the parking lot, a Costco employee asked me, like, are you a Buddhist monk? I said, yeah. And, yeah. and he started, we started conversation and he said, that he started getting to learn about Buddhism. So mm-hmm. that was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's rare to see a Buddhist monk, um, but you do see them, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. I, I know that at, um, at one of the colleges that I teach at that I know that you took courses at every now and then I will see a Buddhist monk or none. Mm-hmm. Um, I even saw one once when I was hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, which was amazing to me because that's one of the things that I do when I hike is I chant mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I, I'm, you're not supposed to hike alone. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're supposed to make noise. And I thought, well, two birds, one stone, you know, <laughs> oh, money, pod may home. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Yeah. Hopefully it keeps the bears away. So, so, so you see that Buddhism can be a supplement to people who practice other religions. Yes, definitely. It can be a companion, you know, or supplement to, to anyone's religion. And, and think we have seen the, this sort of, uh, if I may say movement, you know, like the, you hear, heard the term Jubu, mm-hmm. right? And you, heard, you have seen Catholics who also practice meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and I see this in, also inside the prison because I, I did not make it a religious service where I did not burn incense. I had no Buddha. Mm-hmm. I had folks from all ethnicities, you know, African-American, mm-hmm. uh, Caucasian, um, Jewish, Native American, mm-hmm. a lot of vets. Um, and, and so I have all types of uh, folks who join my visits. Okay. I have a, a big question for you. 
And we're going to go a little bit meta here. In a sense, I see most of us as existing in a prison. Now, this is sort of my Gnostic turpitude, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, I had asked you uh, before we began speaking today, if uh, you had seen this episode of a Netflix series, um, The Midnight Gospel, and there was one particular episode. This is all based on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation was with uh, Jason Louvre, who incorporates a lot of Buddhist teachings into his work. And the whole, and this is all animated, and the whole session was set in a prison. And it was about this prisoner who kept having to reincarnate and he kept reincarnating into the prison. And he (laughs) kept having to go through all of this until he could achieve this final liberation, right? And, And I thought that that was a perfect metaphor for the human condition. And that the Buddha, in many ways, Buddhism helps helps offer to the keys to ourselves. Um, and I was just curious if you agree with that or not, and, uh, or if you have any thoughts you'd like to add. Um, in a sense, I, I think you can say that we are imprisoning ourselves. Yeah, okay. Okay. And, and if you look at our lives, not, not just America, but in any country, any culture, mm-hmm. Um, our lifestyle, our relationships, you know, um, if we have, if we begin, I mean, definitely we need, as a child, we need to develop some sort of attachment to our parents for a healthy sense of growing up, mm-hmm. you know, psychology, which is good. That's mm-hmm. not imprisonment. Now, in, it, come, it becomes an, an imprisonment, let's say if you have a job, and then you would buy a house, you would buy a car, and, and you know, the, the, your pay end up going to the mm-hmm. house and the car and the pills. And mm-hmm. the thing is, and, and you can get out of it because you can quit your job. In mm-hmm. a way, you're stuck with it. And mm-hmm. if you're not happy with your job <laughs> and you can yeah. quit, yeah. That, is, that is imprisonment. And that's, that's how I was back it, before 2006. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I mean, I did have a condo uh, where I made payments, but mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, you know, it was incarceration because you get you are stuck at it and mm-hmm. you are not happy. And if you look at, um, I guess, from uh, the term hell uh, in in the Buddhist sense, it's like you are suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are not satisfied where you are. So mm-hmm. that is an imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's one thing, right? That's with material. And if you look at even for someone in a relationship, in an intimate relationship where he and she or she was not happy, but then he or she couldn't get out because of one reason or another, mm-hmm. that in a sense is also a prison. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, besides our direct family, even with our, as we become adults, we have to be mindful of our attachment to our parents or our relatives, Mm -hmm. because, you know, one day they, one day they would kick the bucket, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no avoiding it. And let's say if they went and we wouldn't accept it, we suffer. 
and I don't want to, we grieve, you know, and I don't mm -hmm. want to mm -hmm. oversimplify it, but in a way we are also imprisoning ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I understand that people with depression, I don't want to, to judge anything, mm -hmm. uh, but any form of our, anything that would lead us to attach to a certain thing or person mm -hmm. that is incarceration, that is uh, an in imprisonment. And I think I have an article, I forgot his name. Uh, I think uh, uh, he did talk about attachment uh, mm -hmm. upadana that's the Pali term okay right yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah okay. you can say that uh, yeah in a sense that we are imprisoning ourselves yeah now my my understanding is that with the whole concept of attachment that it's and please correct me if I'm wrong but that it's you know it, it, it's the this concept of attachment and desire and that not necessarily all desire or all attachment is necessarily bad, but right. it's this sort of like grasping kind of desire. And so, you know, you mentioned grieving, grieving is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to grieve. We're going to have that suffering anyway. Yeah. And we're always going to miss the person that is gone. But it, 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 what is coming to my mind is that, the human life as prison and how we make our own prisons. It's like the ego is the warden, you know, <laughs> and it's like wanting to buffer up that sense of self and to control and possess things mm -hmm. is what keeps us into the prison. Correct. Correct. Let's say, you know, let's say that if you, um, yeah, you, you mentioned desire and attachment. Let's say the, the, even the desire to be enlightened mm -hmm. is yeah. it, it is wholesome in a way, but if you constantly <laughs> caught right, up with right. that, then, then you are imprisoning yourself. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so definitely we have to be mindful of what we get ourselves into and recognize that uh, we have to be mindful that... We, Everything is constantly changing, right? Right, right. And that no matter what it is, it's not you, even this body. If you look at this, mm. our body with mm. the aggregate, with the five aggregates, the Buddha taught our thoughts, our, uh, its form, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness, they are fleeting. It, mm. it, this is just a, a, a five hips or five rivers flowing together, like Han said, and that we have no sometimes as we get older, we have no control over it. So and mm -hmm. if we are attaching to, to be forever young, then we mm -hmm. suffer. So, yeah. so yeah, we, we don't understand the Buddha's teaching properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I found it, I mean, this is again, a personal note, but I found this, that image of that, not everything is permanent. Um, the, you know, the dependent co-arising is mm -hmm. incredibly hopeful when my mom was dying mm -hmm. um, because, you know, she was in the hospital, she was dying of cancer and I was having to drive to Arizona, you know, pretty much every other week. And I mm -hmm. ended up staying there when she was in the hospice. And I remember a nurse asking me once, you know, how, how are you dealing with all of this? Because my dad had just died and my brother was near death too, in some mm -hmm. ways. And I explained, it's like, it was the dependent, the dependent co-arising. I'm like, it's just, 
it's all impermanent. This is going to pass. And, mm -hmm. you know, I explained, I just saw this as like waves on the ocean. That each wave is just this temporary formation. And then it goes back into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And that's the image I held the whole time was just these waves on the ocean coming together and falling apart, you know, and it was tremendously helpful. And it doesn't mean I didn't grieve, but maybe I didn't grieve as much. Well, you know, we grieve, but we need to come to this, what we, what, I, what we call acceptance mm -hmm. with equanimity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so, so like, we have to let go of the desire or the grasping that, you know, I don't want you to die. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, right, so right. that is that, that grasping yeah, okay. yeah. was, would be the cause of our okay. suffering. Yeah. Very you know? good. Yeah. 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 So that, and I like your analogy of the waves and actually the psychiatrist, Dan Siegel, mm -hmm. he used the mindfulness practice and, and he said, you know, look at the ocean, the waves, but look at the mindfulness that you are sitting down here and you're looking up the waves, the bubbles. Mm, and okay. like you said, you, you get it right, exactly. And is that, you know, your mindfulness, you, you are aware of your grief, you know, one way after another, mm -hmm. but, you, but it does not define you. It's not who right. you are. You right. recognize it and then you let it go or let it be. You know, and over, over time, it, you know, I lost my mom more than two years ago. Mm -hmm. It was hard at first. Uh, but it, it does help with time, you know, it still hurts, it's still, you, I can still feel sad, mm -hmm. but it's not as intense as it was at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. So uh, my understanding is that there is a website for the Engaged Buddhist Alliance, and that's mm -hmm. engagedbuddhistalliance.org. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And is that uh, still the best? That, so that's the best place for people to find out about uh, the organization and uh, support your work if they want? Uh, yes, we, we asked a volunteer to update. So we had a lot of new information. We even post our newsletters up there. Okay. And some of the course, corresponding courses that we mm -hmm. taught. And definitely if people who are interested, they, could, they can join us or contact us to speak to us. Or if they are... Uh, generous enough if they can afford they can donate on our website or send a check to the address on the website okay wonderful yeah i was uh that was sort of my last question is what is the best way to support the organization um financial with books donations things like that it, it can be anything you know the way you, yeah because i sent them they can even send stamps they can send okay. books uh, or they can send uh, money or write checks it's up okay. to them Okay, wonderful. Uh, I thank you so much for your time uh, today. It's been wonderful to uh, speak with you and catch up. Uh, what's a good um, uh, What's a, a good way to end? Is you know, may all beings be happy. Um, what, what's the prayer? Yeah. Well, okay. um, well, you know, first of all, I just like to say thank you for giving me a chance to talk about our work and mm -hmm. your 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 kindness and your generosity. Um, the way that this, you know, we, we have, we dedicate the merits, let's say, mm -hmm. from our talk. Mm -hmm. And usually I would say, like, may I be healthy, happy, and free of stress. And may all beings be safe, be healthy, be happy, and free of stress. That's Very the dedication. Yeah. yeah very good very good yeah i have uh, versions of that so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah yeah okay well uh thank you so much venerable d thank you
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's a wrap on episode four of Rebel Spirit Radio. I wanted to offer an addition to something I said regarding the Netflix series, The Midnight Gospel. I mentioned it was based on a podcast, but I failed to mention the name of the podcast, which is Duncan Trussell's Family Hour. Like The Midnight Gospel itself, it is very much worth your time. So thank you for listening. And this is normally where I would make a pitch for you to support my work. However, instead, I wanted to encourage all of you to support the Engaged Buddhist Alliance and their work taking Buddhism into the prisons in uh, California. Uh, I've linked to their website in the show notes. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace and flourish in all possible ways.